Hello everybody, really nice to see you all. Um, welcome to church. We're going to have a little think about um, those verses a bit more. And the question that we're kind of looking at this morning is, what do we do um, when we hit rock bottom? When everything that we feared comes true, um, where do we go? How can we find a firm foundation when everything in life hits the fan? That's our question. Maybe it's the doctor. The doctor calls and tells you that there's nothing more they can do for you. Where do you find hope in that moment? Or maybe you fail some important exams and your future hopes and dreams seem to evaporate. Where do you go to find hope in that moment? Or where do you go to find comfort when your friends don't understand what you're going through? Where in life can we go and find refreshment when everything seems so draining? In our story this morning, we meet a man and he's hit rock bottom. His son, his precious son, lies ill and near death and there's nothing he can do. But the story doesn't end there, does it? He finds hope um, and comfort and ultimately he finds life in Jesus and Jesus' words. And it's my prayer this morning that we would find Jesus' words to be the firm foundation we need in this crazy world. The anchor that will hold fast no matter how rough the storms of life get. So why don't I pray um, that God would do that amongst us this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for your word that gives life and for your son who is the life giver and we pray you would lead us to trust him and trust your word more this morning amen so how we respond when life hits the fan when we hit rock bottom is probably in large part shaped by how we respond in the normal life um, we've got a picture on the screen this guy's called james clear he wrote the book Atomic Habits, which is a number four bestseller in, on Amazon at the moment, multi-million copies sold. Um, and he says this, success is the product of daily habits, not a once-in-a-lifetime transformation. So how we respond in normal life, which is probably what a fair number of us are in, is what gives us the character, the energy, when we hit rock bottom, the default habit. So before we look at the man who's hit rock bottom, we're going to back up, back up and look at the crowd. The crowd which actually the man is compared to in this story. And we see the crowd in verse 44. Let me read that. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. And if we're reading that, we kind of think, hang on a second, what's going on? It sounds odd, even contradictory. Jesus says that his own country, his own people are not going to welcome him, but then he goes to Galilee and they welcome him. What, what's going on? It's, he says that a prophet will have no honour. Well, what does honour look like? And I think these verses... Um, they're put very close to the passage that we saw last week. So just a couple of verses earlier, we meet the Samaritans. 
and how they act towards Jesus is different, subtly different. But when I read those verses and you think, what's the difference between the Samaritans and the Galileans? So the Samaritans, verse 41, and many, because of Jesus' words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. So it's a subtle contrast, isn't it? But the Samaritans listened to God's word. They hung off, his every, they hung off every word of Jesus. Whereas the Galileans, they welcome him. But why do they do that? Verse 44, 5, sorry. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. So they'd seen his acts. So there's a difference there between um, seeing his acts and hanging off his every word. And in some ways, I think Jesus um, is a bit like Prince William. Um, so do you know, like everywhere Prince William goes, he's welcomed warmly, isn't he? But how do we know if people actually like Prince William? How does he know? I wonder what it was like for him growing up when he went to school. Do you know, I bet everybody wanted to be his friend. But who actually liked him and who just wanted to use him? Use his power, his money, his contacts? I wonder if one little test would be, do these people genuinely listen to him? Or are they more interested in getting what they want? And it's like that here for Jesus. He's got lots of fans, lots of people who are impressed with the miracles that he's done and want Jesus to do miracles for them. But Jesus wants more than just a fan. He wants a follower, um, someone who will listen to him, who will hang off his every word. And so that's the question for us. Are we a fan? Or are we a follower? A fan is someone who can say, Jesus has done amazing things, but we want to keep Jesus at arm's length. We like his gifts, the stuff he gives us, but we try not to engage with him as a person. Um, or a follower. A follower is somebody who knows um, Jesus and who hangs off his every word, is excited by his acts, but loves his words. And I guess it's an important question because... Um, when we hit rock bottom, fans find they have no foundation. Because for a fan, it's all about Jesus' gifts. And when those seem to dry up, they have nothing. But for a follower, if it's all about Jesus, even when Jesus' gifts seem to dry up, they still have him. They still have what is most precious. Okay, there we go. So that's the crowd. They're just going about their normal day question for them is fan or follower. The next person we're going to look at um, is the royal official. Um, he's the man that's hit rock bottom. And the question for him is how will he respond? Will he respond in fear or will he respond in faith? So let me read. We meet him here in verse 46. Let me read it. Once more he, Jesus, visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. So here we go, the royal official. He's a big deal. He's a bit like Prince William, okay? So he's got contact with the royal court. He's rich, he's powerful. He can get whatever he wants. And if there is something that he wants and he can't get it, well, he knows someone else that can do it for him. He's got the contacts. I imagine that people would regularly have run up to him on the street, fallen on their knees and begged him for help, begged him for mercy. But now the shoe is on the other foot. 
His son is ill. His son is near death. He's used up all his connections. He's got the best doctors. He's paid the best prices. And his son is still ill. For the last two days, he's watched his son grow weaker and weaker. And now his son has a fever. He's burning up. The dad knows that his boy can't continue like this for more than a couple of days. Panic has set in. And then he hears that Jesus, the miracle worker, has turned up in Cana, nearby, 25 miles away. And so without stopping to think about it, he runs off to Cana. It's uphill. He would have taken more than eight hours without any stops. He walks all night and mid-morning he can see Cana in the horizon on the distance. He manages to track Jesus down. He falls before him and begs him. Verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. And Jesus responds, verse 48, Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. And the religious official, well, he's struggling to understand what Jesus has said doesn't compute. What's going on? Why is Jesus here talking about signs? Why is he talking to the whole crowd? This is deeply personal. It's his son. It's not their son. And it's not theoretical this, that his son is dying. It's desperate. So he tries again. Verse 49. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus replies, Go. Your son will live. This man has walked solidly for over eight hours for a meeting with Jesus that lasts less than eight seconds. His son lies dying over a day's journey away and he has no guarantee that his son is better. He doesn't have the time to go home to check his son and return if his son is not better. His son doesn't have that much time left. What should he do? What would you do? If it was me, I might say, Mr. Jesus, sir, thank you so much for showing compassion for my son, but please could you come back with me? You see, just in case he's not fully healed, you could then put your hands on him and heal him fully. The man has two options, doesn't he? Fear or faith. Fear. Jesus, can't you see? This is my son. I need something more to go on than just your words. Fear or faith. Faith. To think that Jesus' word alone is enough to trust. So what is this man going to do? Second half of verse 50. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. It's amazing, isn't it? He believes. He trusts Jesus' word. He takes Jesus at his word. Jesus' word is enough for him. On the day when this man hits rock bottom, he finds that Jesus' words are the only foundation he needs. When the ground is pulled out from beneath his feet, he finds confidence, comfort and hope in Jesus' word. Jesus' word is enough for this man. And so because he's come and he's got Jesus' word, he has what he wants and he can go home. And how does it go for him? Look at verse 51. 
While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. He made the right choice, didn't he? Jesus' words was enough. Jesus' words were trustworthy. You can bet your son's life on Jesus' words. And so the entire household here believe, don't they? Which is amazing. They've not seen Jesus. They've heard his words. And because of his words, they believe in him. Jesus and his words are the only firm place to stand in our shifting world. And sometimes I think in this world, we or others, friends of ours, if they're kind of seeking after God, we can say something like, if only I had a sign, then I'd believe. And there's nothing wrong with signs. Jesus here performs a miracle. He heals the boy. But the sign is to lead to trust in God's word. You see, if we rely on signs, we become a fan. And Jesus wants more for us. He wants to lead us to his words, to himself, that we might know him and become a follower. Sometimes I guess we might think that, you know, the really spiritual people, they can get signs. They'll see spiritual signs or something. But actually, I think this passage tells us that the really spiritual people trust in God's word. They worship God not because of his wonders and his his signs, but for who he is. And even when they get no sign, even when their prayer doesn't seem to be answered, they keep trusting in their God. They keep trusting in his words. And that's what I think this passage is saying. So, you know, verse 54, this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. It's a sign, and as we've been seeing, signs point to something, don't we? Don't they? So what does this sign point to? Well, this sign points to Jesus. Jesus' words bring life. Jesus' words are life-giving. Jesus' words bring eternal life. And eternal life is both quantity, it goes on forever, and quality, It is life to the full. It is being truly alive. It is living with God forever. And in the week where we remember um, Ian's death, how precious are these words, how precious are Jesus' words that bring eternal life. And when we stand, when we stand on the other side of this life and we look back upon our lives on earth, we will have... No, we will look back and feel no regrets for how we followed Jesus. We won't wish that we had followed him less closely or knew him less well. Our only regret will be that we didn't trust him more. Jesus' words are trustworthy. You can bet your son's life on it. And how do we know that? Well, in some way, Jesus here is actually the true official son, true royal official son who lies close to death. 
He is the true son of his heavenly father, the king of the universe. He was sent from the heavenly court into this world to bring life to a dying people. And his mission led him not just to get sick and nearly die, but to truly die on a cross. He died to give us life. And so we can know that he only wants good for us. He will lead us into no ultimate harm. You can bet Jesus, the Son's life, on God's word. And because Jesus is the word, because Jesus is the word, has life in himself, death could not hold him. And he rose, didn't he, victorious, to everlasting life. And now he can give that to anyone who comes to him and asks him. And I guess at this point it would be natural, wouldn't it, to encourage us to read God's word, to get to know Jesus better um, through his word. And at church we've got loads of ways that we do that. That's kind of part of the reason we exist, isn't it? So, you know, Sunday, you're all here. That's great. It's an opportunity to uh, meet Jesus in his word. Uh, we have growth groups um, and we have um, these Bible reading notes, uh, which you can pick up at the back. Um, so do take one of those to be thinking about Jesus' words more. But um, I'm going to finish now and I'm going to ask Ruth to come up. Thank you, Ruth. And Ruth is going to tell us a little bit um, about how God and his word comforted her and strengthened her um, when she hit rock bottom. Are you happy to use this? Would you like? Would you like? Uh, okay. Thank you.
Thank you, Ruth. Ooh. Thank you, Ruth. Shall I, shall I pray? And then I think we'll have a song and then we'll have our question time. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you very much for how you have kept hold of Ruth. We thank you for your word being precious to her. We thank you that Derek is with you. And we thank you for the hope that she has, that we have in you. And we pray, Father, this morning that you would grow our confidence in your goodness and your word to us. Amen. Amen.